Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. And we have uh, the time here to answer those questions. If you have something going on in your life that you'd like biblical advice on or even prayer, we would love to pray for you and answer those questions. If there's something that you've been reading in your Bible that's got you confused or something you've always wondered about, we would love to hear from you. And hopefully we can help you answer those questions and explore those with you. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I am your host here every Monday on Calvary Live, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Love to hear from you. Give us a call. The number is 303 690 It's 303-690-3000, or text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the in number 303-690-3000, or text us 720-336-0897. 0897. We want to welcome all of you who are listening, whether you're listening here in Colorado and Wyoming live on Grace FM, or if you're listening on one of our syndicated broadcasts on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or Maryland, and we're also syndicated on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program, wherever you're tuning in from. We're so glad that you're with us, and we'd love to hear from you and I'll pray for you, answer your questions. Just a reminder that those of you listening on the East Coast on the syndicated broadcast, you are hearing the program on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind. But uh, you also have a unique opportunity where you get to tune in the following week and you get to hear yourself on the radio, tell people you know to tune in. And that's a it's an interesting opportunity that we don't have here who listen live. But we also want to greet those who are listening online. We know that so many of you are tuning in via the uh, mobile app and via the website. If you don't have the Grace FM tel- or mobile app, we encourage you to go and get it. Uh, just go to the App Store for whatever device you have and just type in Grace FM. It should come right up. You put it on your device and you'll be able to listen live over the Internet no matter where you are, not only in the country but also in the world. And we get people writing us every week who are listening in places like Texas and Florida, California, Minnesota. So we're so glad that God has uh, made these technologies available that we're able to reach out to you and uh, broadcast to you wherever you are in the world. So welcome to those of you who have tuned in that way. And just a reminder that you can always tune in on your uh, browser. So whether you have a laptop, desktop, whatever, you can go into your browser and just type in gracefm.com and just click the button to listen live and you can listen live on your browser. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, that's 
9-7, and this is the show where you can call in with your questions. We'd love to hear from you with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. We're here to pray for you and answer those questions. Again, uh, just a few words about myself as we wait for those calls to come in. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We meet in downtown Longmont, and I'd just love to take this opportunity to personally invite you to join us for weekend worship on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We worship at uh, the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is right in downtown Longmont. If you are familiar with uh, Longmont, um, it is just one block west of Main Street on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. So northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. 700 Longs Peak Avenue is the address. And we're just one block west of Main Street in downtown Longmont. And we'd love to have you come and worship with us. We have a great uh, ministry. God's doing some great things. We have a strong children's ministry. And we have a great worship ministry. We'd love to have you um, come and be a part of that. Check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And you can get information there about where we meet and who we are and uh, maybe find out some things that are going on in our fellowship these days. You can also listen to some of our past sermons and messages and get a feel for what God's doing at Whitefields. You can also hear our sermons every weekday on Grace FM at 2.30 p.m. So every weekday at 2.30 p.m., maybe that's the time when some of you are picking up kids from school or getting off of work. We'd love for you to tune in at that time. Or also Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So if for some reason you're not able to make it to church on Sunday morning, you can tune into Grace FM and hear our services there on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Let's go to our first caller, Liz in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. So my question is, is in Revelations where they talk about the two witnesses, I believe it's chapter 11, um, that they're going to be, you know, still going throughout the earth prophesying, aside from the 144,000 as well. Um, My question is, is that there's people that have gotten the mark by that time, if they are reached by these two witnesses, or the 144,000, and these people repent, will they be saved? Yeah, that's a good question. So my immediate response would be yes. So just for context for um, people who might not be sure what you're talking about, in Revelation 11 it mentions two witnesses, and these are basically, we would just summarize this by saying these are two Jewish evangelists, Mm-hmm. during the time of what's called the tribulation, which is a time of great distress on the earth, right? When there, there's um, a lot of problems and a lot of difficult things. It says there will be a time of distress like the world has never known. That's what Jesus described it as. And um, during these times, you know, the, these witnesses are going to go around and they are going to be um, witnesses for God. In other words, there will be the two Jewish evangelists and it says that they'll be killed in the streets and that people will see their bodies for a certain number of days. And so the question, yeah, can people be saved after having received the mark? Yeah, it is a bit unclear exactly what that mark is, right? It seems to be some sort of mark that you have to get in order to buy or sell. And it seems that the only way to get this mark is by worshiping um, you know, the Antichrist and and kind of selling your soul in a way, like to put it in layman's terms. I guess there's one way that I would look at this is that a person who 
is not able to be saved. You know, I, I think about somebody like um, Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh's a good example of this. It's talked about in Exodus and then again in Romans about how Pharaoh had an opportunity and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And from that time on, God affirmed his decision and continued hardening his heart. And so the question is, well, could Pharaoh not be saved because he chose not to be saved or did God harden his heart? And that's why he couldn't be saved. And the answer is yes on both accounts. But Pharaoh had the opportunity to make a choice for himself. But once he made that, made that choice, God affirmed that choice and strengthen that choice. And I think we see this in Romans chapter 1 very clearly, that uh, basically the worst thing that could ever happen to a person is for God to give up on them, right? It's for God to say, I'm going to give you over to your own desires. And that's, yeah. it's, that phrase is actually used three times in Romans chapter 1, where the person, it says that for this reason, God gave them up or God gave them over. And it's used three times over and over and the idea is that that is that is what the judgment of god is basically is when god lets you have your way and so i think there's another sense in which um let's put it this way there will be nobody in hell who is saying oh well you know this this is unfair that i ended up here you know, like, oh, I'm, I accidentally made the wrong choice at one time, and then I was locked in, and then I couldn't make the right choice again, right? In other words, people who are there are there because they got exactly what they wanted. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So when the two witnesses come, is that after the 144,000? And is it after the second three and a half years, or is it before? So this would be after the first three and a half years. This is going to be taking place during the second period of the tribulation called the Great Tribulation. And it, it would seem that this is after the 140. If you take a chronological view of Revelation, which mm -hmm. I generally do, you know, the 144 are coming earlier. They're coming okay. uh, chapter 7. You know, there's only one place where it seems to deviate from that, um, that, what do you call it, the um, kind of a chronological take on Revelation, and that is in chapter 12, when it talks about the woman and the dragon. Basically, it kind of takes a break from this chronological story that it's telling. It takes a break, mm -hmm. and then it tells this big picture story, which is the story of the woman and the dragon, which, of course, is an analogy or an allegory of Jesus and Satan. But all that to say, to answer your question directly, it ha I believe it happens after the 144,000. And um, yeah, and it happens during the second three and a half year period of that seven year period. Okay, so in essence, does that mean that on the second, second portion, the second three and a half years, is when the people are going to be forced to take the, the mark. Right. So the first three and a half years is uh, generally believed to be a time of peace. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so there will be a, a time of peace. Now, of course, there's a, there's a lot of different views on this, but I'll just give you kind of the general view. It's called, you know, dispensationalism is what it's referred yeah. to. And uh, the general view on 
premillennial dispensationalism and a pre-wrath, you know, rapture. It's going to be that the rapture takes place, then there's three and a half years of peace, and then there's going to be three and a half years in which then things change, and that will be called the Great Tribulation. And during that time, that is when, you know, people are, their persecution really begins against people who refuse to take this. So that's my understanding. I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that there are people who hold a different view, but that's my understanding that this is going to be taking place during the second part of that, after this person enters into a rebuilt temple, declares himself to be um, God, and uh, and then forces people to worship him. So when so when do all the, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, when does all that come into place, and what chapter? Yeah, so that's when God is bringing judgment during that time. During the second period. Yeah. Okay. All right. That helps. All right. I was just trying to put it chronologically in my head. Okay. Good. I hope that helped. All right. It does. Thank you, Pastor. Cool. God bless you, Liz. Take care. God bless you. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts here on the air. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line 720-336-0897. Hey, while we're waiting for your calls and texts to come in, we have all open lines, by the way, so do give us a call. Um, it's a great time to call in if you have had a question that you've wanted to ask about. But while we're waiting for those lines to fill up, let me tell you about a few things that we've been up to at Whitefields and something I'm really excited about. And that is this, that we just finished a series through the epistle of James. So James's letter to the early church. And um, the title of the series was Faith in Motion. We love looking at James, you know, just prior to that, we had gone through a study of Romans and a study of Hebrews. And James is a really nice kind of counterbalance where James kind of gives the other side of the coin. It's the same coin, but he gives another side of it. Whereas, you know, Romans is really focused on our justification, how we are justified apart from works in Christ. It's all a work of God's grace. But James is really a great counterbalance to that because what James says is he doesn't contradict that at all. But what he says is, at the same time, let's remember that our actions do matter. Our actions reveal where our hearts are at. Our actions are important to God. God uh, looks at our actions. We should examine our own actions and, and look and see what our actions tell us about where our hearts are actually at. And uh, I thought it was just a great study. We just finished it this past week by looking at chapter 5, where James gives this, this radical view of um, what Christian community looks like. And I only say it's radical because it's totally biblical, but it's totally countercultural to the way that our society tends to function. You know, we are the most individualistic society that has ever existed in the history of the world. And while we're a very productive society, we're also a very isolated society. We're very lonely. I just read a study this past week that talked about how loneliness is at epidemic levels. And it's talking about some of the effects of loneliness. For example, a 2016 study showed that uh, almost three quarters, so it was like 72% of Americans who responded to this poll said that they are lonely. And so they asked people, you know, are you lonely? Do you experience loneliness on a regular basis? And three quarters of Americans said yes, they experience loneliness regularly. And uh, 
loneliness is actually associated with so many things. Loneliness has been shown to affect the way the brain functions. So it's, uh, it's a contributor to mental illness and it can actually exasperate mental illness that exists. Uh, loneliness has been shown to actually not only affect um, brain chemistry, but also affect the way our bodies function. So social isolation, the, the, this is the United States, uh, oh, I forget the person um, now off the top of my head, Surgeon General, that's who it is. The Surgeon General says that uh, the effects of social isolation are similar to those of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and they're worse than obesity. And so we are a very uh, technologically advanced society. We're a very uh, wealthy society, and yet we're a society that is literally dying from loneliness. And what James shows us at the end of the book of James is he shows us a different way, a different way to live. He shows us a way that we can live in Christian community and what that looks like. And what he shows us is that Christians are called to be doggedly hopeful because we have the hope of the return of Jesus. We have the hope of what's called, you know, this blessed hope that we have, the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that when he comes, he's going to establish the kingdom in fullness and he's going to set all things right. There'll be no more tears and no more pain, no more suffering forever. And furthermore, he says, you know, we're able to be truthful people. And finally, he's, he says we're able to be people who are engaged. And he paints this picture of, you know, seeking out people who go astray and confessing your sins one to another. And it's so foreign to the way that we live nowadays, but so life-giving and hopeful. So that was what we studied this past Sunday in James. And this coming Sunday, we're doing something which I'm really excited about. We're starting a new series, which is called I Could Never Believe in a God Who. And a couple months ago, I posted a poll online on my website. And on that website, you know, I posted this poll and I asked people to share it with their friends and to fill it out. And we got over 100 responses of people. And we asked them, how would you finish this sentence? I could never believe in a God who... And, uh, and so we gave some suggestions, but we also let people fill in that question for themselves. And it was really interesting, the results that we got. Um, I'll just tell you what some of the questions we asked in the poll. And if, you, if you're interested in taking that poll, we're always looking for more answers. And so um, if you would like to take that poll, you can go on to my blog, which is nickkady.org. So nickkady, N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y dot O-R-G. And it's right there. It's pegged to the top. You can click on there and you can fill out the poll. And so here's some of the ones that we asked people about, you know, which of these, you know, constitutes the biggest hurdle for you in accepting and embracing Christianity. Uh, for example, issues like I could never believe in a God who condoned genocide in the Old Testament or who encourages the suppression of minorities and women or who doesn't affirm some people's sexuality or who creates hateful and hypocritical followers. Or you could, might say, I could never believe in a God who sends people to hell or a God who allows bad things to happen to good people. You know, another one is, I could never believe in a God who hasn't proven his existence or who has given us a faulty Bible. And so we put out this poll and the initial results, I've gotten more responses, but what what's really surprising is that the number one results are the issues of... Um, sending people to hell and allowing bad things to happen to good people. These are the two things that people said more than anything else that they struggle with when it comes to God and the Bible and Christianity. And maybe there's some of you listening right now and you're like, that's me. Like I struggle with that very thing. I, I struggle, you know, I want to believe the gospel, but I struggle with, you know, I struggle with really believing this hell thing 
well, give us a call. I'd love to talk to you. And uh, we're going to be doing a series over the next couple weeks. The next seven weeks, we're going to be doing a series. And this coming Sunday, unless you're hearing this on, um, on a repeat, like a playback, this coming Sunday is going to be Mother's Day. And so we are starting with the one about minorities and women. And we're looking at, well, okay, what what is the truth? You know, what does the research, what does the fa- what do the facts say about whether or not the Christianity suppresses women and minorities? And um, and I think what we'll find as we look into that is quite the opposite. Now, surely the Bible has been used in ways which it was never intended to be used, and that is that's a tragedy. And and you know, I think as Christians, we want to have the integrity to own up to that and apologize for it where it has taken place. But at the same time, we don't want to, uh, we, we want to also dispel a lot of misnomers and ideas that people have that are not necessarily true. And so where the Bible has been misused, we want to come back and we want to, to give um, real truth and answers and show that actually, if you look at history, the Bible has elevated the place of women and minorities um, in the world. And so we're going to be talking about that this Sunday. We'd love for you to come. Mother's Day is a great time. No matter where you are or where you're listening, we encourage you. Mother's Day is a great time for you to invite uh, your mom to church. If your mom uh, doesn't go to church or moms out there, invite your kids to church, especially if you have older kids or grown kids. Uh, This is a chance for you to say, hey, it's Mother's Day. I want you to come to church with me. And guess what? They more than likely will. So we'd love for you to take this opportunity and do that. And if you're in the Longmont area, we'd love for you to come out and bring your kids or your mom out to Whitefields Community Church, worship with us. And we're going to be diving into some of these issues about women and the Bible and Christianity. We'll be uh, addressing some of the ways that uh, it's been misused in the past and show, you know, what are the proper interpretations? What does the Bible really say about women and minorities? So, um, the number to call, 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, that text line is 720-336-0897. Let's go to Katie in Evans, Colorado. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. I was just responding back to your questionnaire that you had posted out on your blog and some of the responses that you had gotten back. Yeah. And one of the top two was, why do bad things happen to good people? Yep. Well, maybe like four years ago, something I would have said was the worst thing that could have ever happened to me was that I lost my job and got laid off. And... I couldn't find another job. It took me four and a half months to find another job. And I thought that was the worst thing that had ever happened to me in my life. But it turned out to be the greatest blessing in my life I could ever have asked for. Yeah, isn't that so often the case? Right. So, I mean, at the time, you may feel like it's the worst thing that could have ever happened. But it's, it was the thing that led me back to God. Wow. And Praise it, the Lord. Yeah, if I hadn't had that happen to me, I'd still be like on the road to hell. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah. Y- you know, Katie, I, I just want to agree with you and say that, and that, you know, there are so many things in my life where I think I was so afraid of something happening, and then it happened. And then I thought, God, why did you let this happen? 
And it took many years before I ever saw the answer to that. And, um, and you know, in every case that I can think of, that I can say, God, wow, thank you for allowing that to happen to me. Even though I was scared, even in some cases, I prayed that it wouldn't happen. And God allowed it to happen anyway. O on the other hand, though, I, I will say this. I think one of the things we learned from the book of Job is that there will sometimes be times in our lives where we don't get an answer and we don't see this side of eternity why God allowed something to happen. Exactly. I mean, after that, I learned so much in those four and a half months that it absolutely did a 180 in my life. Wow. I mean, I was so, I was so bad. I was a horrible employee. I was a horrible co-worker. I cussed like a sailor. <laughs> I was mean and spiteful, and God pretty much, I mean, I remember hearing, I started watching a lot of preacher shows and stuff, and they were saying, God will chase you because he loves you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, he did, because he pretty much pulled the rug right out from underneath my face and slammed it on the floor, and it was like a big wake-up call. Yeah. And I thank God for it every day. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Well, that's a great testimony, Katie. You know, um, one thing I'll say, we're coming up on our break in just a minute or two, but I'll, I'll, um, I would love to tell you this one thing. You know, one of the things that people always say in this effect is like, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And they, there's this thing which is called the trilemma. Now, I'm sure you know what a dilemma, like a dilemma is, right? That's where you have two things which seem to be opposed to each other and you have to decide between them and it's really hard. Well, a trilemma is like a dilemma except for there's three. And so what, what people say is that there are three issues that the Bible states are true and yet they can't all be true at the same time. And so the, these are the, this is the trilemma. On the one hand, God is loving. On the other hand, God is all-powerful. And on the third hand, if you can have three hands, uh, evil exists. So God is loving, God is all-powerful, and evil exists. And the argument goes like this. Since evil exists, that means that God must not be loving or God must not really be all-powerful. Because if God was all-powerful, then he could stop evil. But the fact that he doesn't shows that he's not all-powerful. On the other hand, they say, well, if there's evil and God could stop it, but he doesn't, therefore God must not be all loving. And so they said, well, look, God can either be uh, loving or he can be all powerful. But because evil exists, he can't be both loving and all powerful. It's the whole idea that if God loves me, then why would he let something bad happen to me? And here's the logical flaw in the trilemma. And, and, you know, a lot of people hear that and they're like, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe there is no God, right? Like they just go right for it. But there's a major flaw in the trilemma, which is exactly what you're alluding to in your story about how the best thing that ever happened to you was the thing that you were so afraid of. And that's this, that God has more than two attributes, doesn't he? God is not just loving and powerful. God is more things, isn't he? So God uh, has a myriad of attributes. He is all-knowing. He is providential. He is eternal. He is all places at all times, right? 
And so God has all these different attributes. And to say, to try and say that, oh, God only has two attributes, he's loving and powerful, is really not to deal with the true God of the Bible. And so, in other words, what we'd say this, let's add a fourth thing into that equation. What if God isn't just all loving and all powerful? What if God is all knowing? In which case, that would change a lot of things, wouldn't it? It would mean that God can actually use things that are bad in his grand scheme of things for our good and for his ultimate purposes. And so I think that's really important to remember. And so where people try to make this kind of reductionist argument where they say, um, oh, God can't be all loving and all uh, powerful if there's evil. Well, we say, yes, he can because he's also all knowing and he's in all places at all times. So thank you for your question and for your comment. Katie, great to hear your testimony. Hey, we're going to be back in two minutes time. You're listening to Calvary Live. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or things going on in your life that you'd like advice on or prayer for. We'd love to hear from you, talk with you, pray for you, hopefully answer some of those questions. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line is 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Michelle in Maryland. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the program. Hello, Katie. How you doing? I'm doing great. Um, yes, hi. I'm calling to ask a question, then I need prayer. Okay. The first question I like to ask in God's Word that's written, um, when God's Word says uh, He gives us the gifts, uh, spiritual gifts of discernment to know the difference between good and evil, Okay. Um, what does that mean? Because I'm struggling right now. I'm struggling right now with that because I've been having a lot of trying times with, you know, wanting to know the difference between that because I come across that scripture. Can you kind of tell me where that scripture is again? Yeah, so um, what you're referring to is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it is referring to, it's a list there that Paul gives of different spiritual gifts. And what these are, he mentions their gifts of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives for the building up of the body of Christ for the benefit of others. There's one gift that's given for the benefit of the individual, and that's the gift of speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. All the other gifts are for the edification of others. And so, for example, this gift is um, the distinguishing between spirits. So there's that, and uh, that's often referred to as the gift of discernment. So being able to discern between spirits. And it's as you described, you know, being able to have discernment in a particular situation. It's this divine discernment, knowing what things are good and what things are from the Lord and what things are not. And so one of the things in this same vein is that 
the book of James, you know, really, or the epistle of James, I mentioned earlier that I just finished teaching through it. You know, James is very clear with us. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And there's this idea, that, you know, that we can turn to God and we can ask for wisdom and God will give it. And so I think these two are related. I don't think they're the same thing. I don't think that asking for wisdom is the same as having the spiritual gift of discernment. Remember that the spiritual gifts are supernatural spiritual uh, enablings or abilities from the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose of doing God's work in the world. And so I think there are times when you will, I, I would say these also fall into categories. Some of these gifts are gifts that a person has 100% of the time that they can tap into all the time. And some of these gifts are gifts that are given for a unique moment and for a unique purpose. I tend to believe that the gift of discernment tends to work in the latter of those two. In other words, for a distinct purpose, for a distinct time, uh, when there's a really there's something that needs to be discerned. Maybe that's a, a person's motivation that you're dealing with. Uh, you need to have discernment to know, okay, where is this person coming from? Is this someone that I should trust or is this uh, someone where the Holy Spirit would communicate to you and say hey you need to be careful this all looks good on the outside but this is not the road that you need to be going down or there's something under the surface here that you don't see uh, on the other hand you know wisdom is is essentially not just knowing facts but knowing what to do in a particular situation and so I think that you want to be praying for both of those you want to ask for you know, Paul says, desire the greater gifts. And of course, he specifically, he speaks of the gift of prophecy as being one of the greatest gifts. But, um, you know, the greatest gift, which is the greatest gift? Well, it's the one which is in most need for the given moment. And so you, I, I would say the same thing, Michelle. You want to pray for the greater gifts. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the gift of the Spirit that you need to deal with the situation which you're facing. Now, at the same time, I think that you should also pray and ask for wisdom. James tells us there, if anyone mm. lacks wisdom, let them ask God. You know, someone was, we were, we were discussing this with a group of men that I meet with every week. And one of them was saying, you know, it honors God so much when we as his children come to him and ask him for wisdom. Because it shows mm. that, you know, it's kind of like when someone, if, you, if someone's ever come to you and they say, hey, I know that you can do something that I can't do or you have expertise or you have knowledge or some resource that I don't have and so I'm coming to you that honors you you know when someone comes to me and says hey I need advice I there's something that I can't do but I know that you can well that that honors a person doesn't it and so it honors God when we as his children come to him and we say God I don't have the wisdom for this situation but I know that you do, and I know that if I ask for it, you will give it to me. Yes, yes. So, yes. I really thank you for explaining it to me. Um, well, let me pray for you, Michelle. Please pray for me, yes. Thank right. you. Heavenly Father, we pray for Michelle, and we pray for all of our listeners who are wondering what to do in a particular situation. Lord, I pray for those who need discernment. Lord, I pray that there. I, I pray for those who are listening right now who need the spiritual gift of discernment for a particular situation or a ministry they're involved in or a relationship in their life. Lord, I pray that you would give them that spiritual gift of discernment in those cases. I also pray for us, Lord. We come to you as the wise God, 
who offers your wisdom to us if we will only ask. And so we come to you asking for that wisdom and we say, Lord, please give us your wisdom that we might have it, that we might uh, know your will for our lives, that we might know what to do in the particular situations or conundrums that we are facing. So Lord, we come to you and we ask for wisdom, fully having faith that your word is true and that you will give it to those who ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you. Right, God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us, 720-336-0897. We've got two open lines, so give us a call, 303-690-3000. Let's go to our next caller, Bonnie in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Bonnie. Welcome to the program. Hi, how you doing? Doing great. What's up? Uh, yes, I just wanted to pray for, um, I called before, but um, I haven't had a job yet. Can you say a prayer request from, from my husband to get a job? Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for Bonnie, and I pray for her husband. Lord, I pray that you provide for them by providing them with a job. Lord, I pray that you would lead them to the right place, help them see the right postings. Lord, I pray that you would lead them maybe to a person who is going to be that person who's going to give them a job. Lord, I don't know um, what exactly or how exactly you're going to do it, but Lord, I pray that you would lead Bonnie's husband to the right job, and Lord, that you would enable him and empower him to be a good worker in that job. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You bet, Bonnie. God bless you. Thanks for calling in. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. In Longmont, Colorado, I'm taking your calls and texts on the air. We have all open lines, and we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything else on your mind or on your heart. We would love to hear from you. Let's go over to our text line while we're waiting for calls to come in. And we have one person named Jerry. Jerry texted in and asked, Did Jesus know that he was going to rise on the third day before he was crucified? Jerry, he did absolutely know that. And there are a few reasons why, a few verses that say exactly that. For example, in Luke 13, Jesus says to uh, his disciples, he says, I must go on my way. And uh, following that, he, well, yeah, he says this. I'm actually going to read you from Matthew 16 instead. It says this, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, on the thir- killed and on the third day rise again. He says in Matthew 17, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And then he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and three days rise again. In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, some people came to Jesus and they asked him, how will we know? What is the proof that you can give us that you are who you say you are? I mean, anybody can come around and say that they're God, right? How can we know that what you say is actually true? And Jesus said, well, I'll give you one sign and one sign only. He says the, the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he said, so deal with the sign of the prophet Jonah. What was that? He said, just as Jonah was in the heart of the earth, then um, just as Jonah was in the heart of the earth, 
for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days and three nights, and then he will rise again. And so Jesus was telling them there that, uh, you know, that he was going to be dead for three days and three nights, and that he would rise again. So Jesus was predicting it. Not only did he know it was going to happen, but he told other people it was going to happen. Not only did he tell other people that it was going to happen, but he told them that it would be the sign that he was who he said he was, that he was indeed the Messiah and that uh, his claims to be like the way, the truth, and the life and the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though they die, they shall live. That was the proof that all of his statements were true. And so um, I hope that answers your question. I'll tell you one more thing is that Jesus told people on one occasion, he said, he said, you know, look at, they, it says that they were walking by the temple and people were looking at the magnificent stones in the temple. And I was just in Jerusalem a couple of weeks ago, and I saw these stones. I mean, they're huge, and it's a, it's a wonder. How did these people get these stones stacked this perfectly, you know, without the modern technology that we have? It's, it's truly incredible. And what Jesus told them is he looked at the temple, and he said, you know, first of all, he told them, the day is coming when not one stone will be left standing on top of each other. And by doing that, not only did he predict what was coming, but there was another time when it says they were uh, taking, they were in awe of these stones in the temple. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what, tear down that temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And he said that referring not to the physical temple, but to his body. It says that in John chapter two. So Jesus absolutely knew that he was going to die and be resurrected on the third day. So thank you for that question. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm taking your calls and texts on the air today. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. We'd love to hear from you. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or prayer requests. We'd love to talk with you, answer those questions, and pray for you. Once again, 303-690-3000. Give us a call. We've got all open lines. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to another text message. We have a person who wrote in saying this. Pastor Raul, Raul Reese said today that we remove ourselves from God's protection if we choose to go to a club with a friend. Since God is all-powerful, does that mean I will go to hell if I celebrate my birthday with her at a club? It's really hard for me to comment on something that somebody said that I didn't hear you know, them say it or the context of what they were saying. Um, I will say one thing on this, though, and that is, um, that is this. One of the things we talked about earlier in the message was that God, lo or in this show, we were talking to Katie, and Katie was telling us how the one thing she was so afraid of is the thing which has been the greatest blessing in her life because, you know, she wanted so much for this one thing not to happen, for her to lose her job. She did, and it's been the greatest thing that ever happened. As a result, she'd come back to the Lord, all these great things. You know, I think that one of the things about God removing his protection, let's talk about what that means. I think we live in a society that is really focused on safety and security, almost obsessed with it. I mean, even think about some of the ways that we pray. How often do we pray, God protect these people, God protect, we pray for traveling mercies, we want God to protect people while they drive their cars, while they fly in airplanes, and rightly so, right? Like we should be, we are concerned for safety and we don't want bad things to happen. And yet we live in a world where, like we talked about earlier, God does allow 
some bad things to happen. We see that in the book of Job, that God allowed those things to happen to Job. But why did he do it? Well, it tells us in James chapter 5. Actually, it's the only New Testament reference to Job. I, I learned that this week as I was studying for this message. James chapter 5, and he says, speaking of Job, that the Lord is compassionate and compassionate and merciful and that God has a purpose. So he says, with Job, we see the purpose of the Lord. That's interesting, right? So what it's saying is that the things that God did to Job are allowed to happen. And we could say with Job, and here's how I'm connecting this to your question, is that God essentially removed his protection from Job, didn't he? And yet, did he do it because Job did something wrong? Well, in Job's case, the answer is no. Now, let's say in a person like Katie's, maybe the answer is yes. Uh, maybe Katie was going a wrong way and God removed his protection from her and let her experience something that was very hard, the loss of her employment. Now, why did God do that in the life of Katie? Well, as we talked to Katie earlier, it was because of his love for her that he was actually through that pursuing her. He was using that thing in her life that she viewed in the moment as a bad thing. God was using it as a very good thing. Now, the, now let's talk about Job. It says that God had a purpose with Job in allowing what happened to him to happen to him, which was loss of his health, loss of his family, loss of his job, loss of his investments, basically almost everything he had except for his wife. And that wasn't exactly a blessing, right? Because his wife told him to curse God and kill himself. And so here's, uh, here's Job. And Job, the whole book, is Job and his friends talking and trying to figure out why did God allow this to happen? And as we talked about earlier in the show, Job never really gets an answer to that question, does he? He asks God, God, why did you let this happen? And his friends, they try to come up with all these ideas and they're wrong ideas. They say, Job, we know that this happened. You must have some skeletons in the closet. You must have some secret sins that you're not letting us know about because we know that God uh, lets only good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. So their view is more similar to karma. But God says, no, no, no. That's not how it works. Here's how it works. I'm sovereign and I have a purpose. And in some cases, I don't tell you what that purpose is. I'm not obligated to is what God is saying. Now, that's something that I think a lot of us struggle with. We feel like, hey, if I could see the purpose behind that thing that has happened to me, then I would be okay. But in some cases, we don't get to know. God doesn't tell us the purpose, even though maybe he could. And that's what we see with Job. But here's just what I want to uh, encourage you with is just to say this that with Job God did what he removed his hand of protection from Job let these things happen to him but it was for a purpose and it was because God was compassionate and merciful it's really hard for us I think in our, our minds to wrap our heads around that unless we really change how we think about goodness badness how we think about God and how we think about our lives and so you know, it brings up a lot of questions that we can't answer, that we don't know the answers to. For example, why would God allow Job to lose those things? And, and maybe one of the reasons that I've thought about is this. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about how money can be an obstacle to the kingdom of God. Wealth can be an obstacle to the kingdom of God. And, and what that shows us, the disciples say, well, if, if the wealthy cannot be saved, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, with 
man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. There's a lot of things to discuss there. For example, the first is that the disciples had this assumption that wealth was a sign of blessing from God and, let's say, poverty or anything related to not getting what you want was a sign of God's curse on your life or God punishing you. So, for example, if you couldn't have a child, that was considered, you know, you must have done something wrong. God is punishing you. On the other hand, if you had a lot of money, then clearly God is blessing you. But if we look around in the world, we can see that that is not really, that can't be how it works. Because there are a lot of, even like David in the Psalms, he talks about, you know, why do the ungodly prosper? He looks around in the world and he sees people who are not godly and yet they are prosperous and rich and things are going well in their lives. And we see people who are godly and things are going awful and terrible in their lives, or at least from their perspective, terrible, or perhaps genuinely terrible. My point is this. We don't know the purpose that God had with removing those things from Job and removing his hand of protection. But what James 5 tells us is that God had a purpose, number one, and that God was compassionate and merciful, and that's why he let those things happen to Job. In other words, God let those things happen. Why? Because he loved Job. Those bad things. And, and like we talked about with Katie, you know, why did God remove his hand of protection in Katie's life? Because he loved Katie. You know, there are times when God will remove his hand of protection in our lives, but here's the thing that I want to remind you of. Why does he do it? I'm going to tell you, it's because he loves you. Especially if you are his. You, you look at verses like Romans 8, 28, that God uh, you know, works all things together for his purposes. We look at verses like Hebrews chapter 12, where it says that God loves us enough to discipline us. That a loving father disciplines his children and God disciplines us when we go astray. And so you're answering the question, will you go to hell if you go celebrate your birthday with your friend at your club? No, I don't believe that you'll go to hell. If you're trusting in Jesus, if your faith is in the gospel, then I don't believe you'll go to hell if you go to the club. But I think you should ask yourself the question, what are you going to be doing at that club? What is the what is your plan there? Are you going there with a plan to sin or not? I think you can go to the club and not sin too. Okay, so let's just put it this way. Uh, will God discipline you if he loves you? Yes. If you go astray, that is the love of God, that he pursues you and disciplines you. And sometimes part of that pursuit is removing his protection from your life. I hope that answers your question and uh, settles that for you. And I would encourage you, you know, pray about what, what is the best way. And here's the thing. I think so many people ask the wrong question when it comes to sin. So many times the question that they ask is, okay, so what actually constitutes sin? Like, is it a sin if I do this? Or is it a sin if I do this, which is almost that other thing, but not quite? Like, where is the boundary line? And why do they want to know what the boundary line is? Why? The reason is so that they can make sure they go all the way up to the boundary put their toes just one inch from the boundary and yet not cross the boundary. In other words, what is the closest I can get to sin and have God not punish me and not be mad at me so I can do that? Like, tell me where the boundary is so I can go almost cross it, but not cross it. So I can stay cool with God and yet, um, you know, do as much as possible. I think that's the absolutely wrong question and approach to ask. Instead, I want you to ask the question this. For your birthday, I want you to do this. What is the most... God honoring thing I can do for my birthday? What would be the thing which would bring God the most joy and the most glory for me to do with my birthday? 
that would be my uh, suggestion for you. And I think that applies to so many of our lives. So many people say, you know, they want to know the rules so they can do the minimum and still be cool with God. Well, the New Testament would show us something completely different. It takes away a lot of the rules that we had in the Old Testament and instead says, instead of rules, I'm going to give you a motivation of the heart that I want you to look at the gospel. I want you to see how great God is, how loving he is, what he's done for you in Jesus. And I want that to be the motivation for you to live a new life. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says. He says, the love of Christ compels us. And that's exactly what we're talking about. I want the love of Christ to be so alive and so big in your mind that it compels you not to ask, will I go to hell if I do this? But rather, totally ask the opposite end of the spectrum. What, is the thing that, what are the things that I can do that will bring God the most joy, the most glory, the most honor? And how do I do those things? Because Jesus gave everything for me. And I want to respond to that out of a thankful, uh, out of a thankful heart. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you for that uh, great question, and God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. We've come up on the last five minutes of our show. We probably got time for one more call if there's anyone else who would love to call in and uh, talk to us about the Bible or about a prayer request you have. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. 0897. Let's uh, look at our last text question here. It says this. Hi, I was just wondering what you say to people who tell you good luck when you don't believe in luck. What is the gentle answer? Yeah, I think that there are, you know, it depends on the person and it depends on the situation. I think there are times when as Christians, you know, one of the best things we can do is to not say anything. On the other hand, you could say just very gently, Oh, you know, say, hey, you know, I don't believe in blind luck. I believe that there's a sovereign God over the universe who answers prayers and is providential. And for me, that's so much more comforting to know than trying to trust in luck, right? Because luck is just kind of a roll of the dice. It could go either way. But the hope that we have because of the Bible and because of the God that we believe in, the hope that we have is that it's not just up to pure chance, that there's a God who is working out his perfect plan, even in the details of my life. And so I'm going to trust in that. But the Bible also tells us that we shouldn't just trust in God's providence, but we should also pray. We should pray persistently. You know, again, coming back to James, where I was just teaching this past weekend, James talks about prayer and he says, hey, I want you to pray. And he, he reminds us of the story of Elijah. He says the prayer of a righteous person has great power. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, but he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. And then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. What is that all about? Well, what he's saying is this. He's saying, look, Elijah prayed and his prayers caused things to change. Now, let's, let's clarify that. Was it his prayers that caused things to change? Well, no. Uh, it was God who caused things to change, but yet Elijah prayed. And, and that was the initiator or the catalyst for that thing happening. And what he's reminding of us, uh, us of is this, that our God is a God who listens to our prayers, which is very encouraging, right? And it means this, that Elijah, you know, he wasn't a superhero. He wasn't made of different stuff than you are. 
but he was a, a human being just like you and me and he asked God for something and God granted that request and what is he doing he's telling us that we should pray and so just to come back to your question there uh, we can tell people I think you know my approach to it is this rather than telling them uh, kind of scolding them for saying hey good luck oh I don't believe in luck you know don't tell me that rather we say hey man I gotta tell you I've got something better than luck right in other words turn it into a positive and say, man, I've got something better than luck. And so instead of wishing me good luck, you know what I would love for you to do for me? I'd love for you to pray for me. I'd love for you to pray, for, to, pray to this providential and sovereign God who loves me, right? And he's not just uh, neutral towards me. He actually loves me and he wants to work all things together for my good and for his glory. And so instead of wishing me luck, maybe would you pray for me? I'd really appreciate it. I think that you can do it in a way where you don't come across uh, rude, where you can come across as taking it and making it even more positive. So hope that answers your question. Thank you for writing in. Uh, God bless you. Hey, we've come up on the last minute and a half or one minute of our show. Uh, let me just say for this last minute of our show, I'll tell you this. I want to give a plug to, I write a blog every, well, almost about four times a week and you can find those articles. I write about everything from culture Christianity, uh, questions that I get from people over the radio or on the blog, and uh, things like foster care. I've been writing about projections, about changing demographics and Christianity. If you are interested in those kind of topics, very similar to what we talked about here on the show, check it out online, nickkady.org. That's N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y.org. We have reached the end of our show. Thank you for tuning in today, and God bless you. You can tune in to Calvary Live every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time, and I'll be with you again next week. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.